Welcome in to season five of Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus. He's EJ Snyder. We are excited to start season number five. We are not so excited to have to talk about that game one more time. But EJ, you got some new digs. Looks gorgeous behind you. Uh, how's everything been going? How did week one treat you? Week one in general, outside of being a Bears fan, was really good. Testing the new setup, um, dropped a couple of pods this week. Uh, it's all been, I don't want to say seamless, but as good as can be expected with as much new as we're dealing with. I'll put it that way. So, and football's back. Let's just, let's be honest. It's, it's really good to have football back. The Bears part, kind of the other thing. <laughs> completely the other way um as well as everything here worked and felt and went the bears game was the opposite of that um yeah we'll we'll get into it but it is not a pretty picture and there is there are not a lot of positives to pull out a lot of times you've heard us talk about games that were really bad and said hey this wasn't that far away from being a decent game or an even game or even a good game or a win this game was not that game no, no, it was not. It actually is one of those where you went back and it was worse yeah. uh, than you thought it was. And, and in real time, it didn't look good. And then it was <laughs> worse as you went back. And so that was a, that was a struggle. So I want to just kind of up top establish what our plan is for this season. So we're going to do an ask me anything kind of format here. So if you want to ask us uh, any questions about players, coaches, schemes, opponents, you know, whatever football related, we'll, we'll, we'll try to answer it. If you want to ask us about adult beverages, you want to ask us about ranking Will Ferrell movies, you want us to like, whatever, like we will, we will entertain those things. We will, we will do drafts, whatever. We're going to have some fun. You can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, I'll put out a, try to put out a tweet every week to remind people to get questions to us. Uh, you can uh, check out the article on Windy City Gridiron, put your comments there. You can join us. We're going to try 8 Central as our standard time every Wednesday. And if you're in the comment section and have something that you'd like to, to ask us, throw it in the comments and, and we'll try to get to it. We'll try to do it as best we can. We may have some guests. We have one tonight that's going to help us preview the Bucks. Uh, we'll see maybe if we can get some other people along the way. Uh, but sometimes it'll just be us. Sometimes uh, we'll bring in some some family, some Windy City Gridiron family. Uh, but we're just going to try to have a, a fun atmosphere where we pivot from the last game and then look forward to the next game. So everything's fair game. It's the middle of the week. And it's traditionally the day of the week that you pivot from re recapping the last game to previewing the next game. So we're excited to do it. Um, and we, at this show, start off every show by talking about what we're drinking. So EJ, what'd you bring? Uh, I got lucky. I was running around today, as I said before the show, and I didn't have any beer in the house, which is weird. Uh, not a normal thing here. Uh, but I, I don't know if you have this, but, uh, cause your neighborhood's a little bit more established than mine, but, uh, they put it in a gas station on a corner where there was nothing like, uh, I've lived here for 12 years and for 10 and a half of those years, it was just trees. <laughs> and then, you know, they developed it and now it's a gas station, but my brain still doesn't think of it. So I was like, oh, oh, where can I stop? And I was almost home and I was like, I haven't been in there. And it's, it's just your run of the mill, you know, corporate gas station. But I was like, maybe, 
maybe they'll have something that's not just macro beer. So I stopped in, nice place, fairly new, like I said, and way tucked up on the top in one of the coolers. Stone Brewings, Buena Vesa, Salt and Lime Lager. I love this stuff. It's great. Stone Brewing out of San Diego. Um, this is kind of the end of the season for this. It's kind of like summer fruits and vegetables, right? It's a, it's a warm weather beer. Uh, definitely going away, but got a couple six packs of that uh, and felt very lucky to do so. Uh, what do you have? Little sugar skull for the can art too. Indeed. Gotta love that. Gorgeous. Uh, I have a bourbon that I have been saving for this uh, mm. podcast uh, debut here because it's got incredible art. So I'm going to show that. And this is on your coast. Uh, yeah. So this is Redwood Empire. And this is the Grizzly Beast. Uh, straight bourbon whiskey. It is bottled in bond, which means it's 100 proof. And so, I mean, I have not opened this thing yet because I've been waiting for this night uh, to, to get that going. So I'm going to drink a little bourbon tonight. And that is actually going to bring us to our first question, which is not football related. Uh, and then we'll get into a football question. This uh, from our friend Chris Armstrong. She's at Chris Armstrong one on the Twitter machine or X. I'm not going to call it X. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because yeah. Let me be honest. Uh, I think it's going to go back to that. But she asked, the holiday season is approaching. Do you have any whiskey gift recommendations? So we're going to have an adult beverage question to kick this off. EJ, what about you? Uh, I know you're, you've got an Irish whiskey, uh, you know, uh, affinity. You've yeah. got into the Japanese stuff a little bit. You have anything that you would recommend to the listener? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. It really depends on, uh, you know, gifts are about giving and, and what your uh, gift recipient is into, because there are as many flavors in even within whiskey or, or any sect of, of alcohol, right? Tequila doesn't matter. So kind of depends on what they want. Do they want it sweet? Do they want it smoky? Are they into, you know, a lot of spice? Or are they not? Um, if you're talking about Irish, which is definitely a place I spend a fair amount of time um redbreast 12 is really good now there's there's nicer versions of redbreast like listau which is um you know a little bit older a little bit more expensive and you know the, the redbreast 12 is is not cheap it's about 60 bucks where i live with taxes which means it's probably about 50 55 where you live um but it's a very nice drinking irish that is um i find it to be really fulfilling just about every time i have it stands out it's got some character to it it's not overwhelming um it's not super hot and you know that's a nice bottle to get somebody for a gift if you if you really like them <laughs> um and you know uh jameson black barrel is a favorite of mine it's you know it's irish because it's jameson but it actually runs much closer to bourbon in terms of it's aged in barrels and pulls a lot more color uh, than a typical Irish. It doesn't have that um, lighter yellow color. It is a dark brown. It's a little bit sweeter, um, almost kind of a, a crossover alcohol, but I really like it. The flavor is great. It's a little bit cheaper, uh, maybe about $10 cheaper, but it's still a great bottle. And again, can you, you can sort of drink it in a, a lot of occasions. I have enough. I have some specialty bottles now, including one I bought with you that um, I look at all the time, but I don't drink that often because it's kind of, uh, I term it athletic drinking. Um, you got to be ready for like the ride. Um, and it's not just something you can pour over ice or, or pour neat or however you like it and just, and just drink it. And 
you know, kind of a daily drinker. Um, I have a bunch of bottles that aren't daily drinkers and it feels like Jameson black barrel is a very good daily drinker. Red rest 12 might be a step above that, but, um, still very, very compatible goes down for me very easily and, and really enjoy it. Good stuff. Um, I, uh, I'm not really that much of an Irish whiskey fan, so I'm going to I'm going to stick with more traditional stuff. I am going to actually promote a Texas distillery. This is Belconis. <laughs> uh, I, I picked up this bottle in Illinois, uh, Chris. So, uh, so you should or actually maybe Indiana, but uh, you should be able to get this. Um, I got this from a total wine. This was a Texas rye cask strength single barrel straight whiskey. So it's it's 65 percent alcohol. This is so smooth and so ridiculous and so tasty. Uh, it's it's amazing. I really find that the single barrels give you a lot of individual interesting flavor. Um, not that expensive. It was it was super reasonable. Uh, and so that's like for the budget. That's like really interesting. I would try to like find something like a Balcones single barrel if you can and and, and get a store pick. And then I want to recommend uh, Peerless, which is a Kentucky Ooh. distillery. Fantastic. This red label means that I got it from the distillery. So that's obviously a little harder because you actually have to be there. Uh, but if you could find a store pick from somebody and if you can't, anything that they make is really good. It's a really good distillery and it's a little bit pricier. So it's a little bit showier. So if you're looking for one of those whiskey gifts and the people know their whiskey, they know that you spend a little bit of money on it just because the price point is a little higher really enjoy that stuff. So um, that's our recommendations for the holiday season that is not that far away. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's never a bad time to gift a bottle of whiskey. You know, there's really, you could do that any time of the year. Let me, let, you know, hint, hint. But <laughs> second question, uh, who would be a great offensive coordinator for Justin? And I think the implication here is that Luke Getze might not be, and he did not have the best week this week. Uh, Justin Fields did not have a good week. Luke Getze did not have a good week. I mean, there's, there's a lot of blame to go around. They probably both uh, deserve a fair share of it. I don't know what the heck happened the last few months to take the, the big game hunter out of uh, Justin Fields. But if you were to pick, if you got to pick anybody in the league, to be the offensive coordinator for Justin Fields, who would it be? And then second question is, who would you pick as a reasonable source? So like if your answer is like Sean McVay, well, that's not going to happen in Chicago. No. Um, but is there, a, is there a guy that maybe could be brought in as somebody next year if Luke Getzey doesn't work out? Uh, or maybe even a new head coaching candidate that would be somebody with an offensive background if you're still invested in Justin? Yeah, lots of layers there. Sorry, <laughs> it was like a multi-part question. But yeah, no, tons and tons of layers. Uh, you know, first things first, gets you had a terrible week. Um, he's not done, right? He's not going anywhere. They have multiple weeks to get this thing right, and they have to do it starting this week. Make no mistake. I'm not saying sit on your hands and just run it back and see if it gets better. No, make changes. Come together. Sit down with your quarterback and go, hey, man, we both – missed a bunch on Sunday. We can't miss again like that. We need to get back to basics if that's what it takes, but we got to get it right. And they need to make changes. They cannot run the same game plan back like ever. Like, I don't care if it's week 12 and that stuff comes back. Like it is, there was a lot of garbage on both sides. 
Um, but you know, the bears are very much against firing anybody in season. So we're going to see this and what they have to do is keep working to make it right. And just like anything in life, it's, it, you know, bad stuff happens to everybody. It's how you react. Right. And I want to see how they both react because they both need to react. And if their reaction is just, eh, it's, it's all right, we'll just keep doing it. That's not good enough. Um, so we're going to see more of Luke Getze. If theoretically he was to move on. Uh, my second question is, do they have to be in the league? <laughs> well, like, I mean, are you going to say Bruce Arians? Because that's no, no, I'm not going to oh, say okay. Bruce Arians. I was going to go. I was going to go way, way off the beaten path uh, and go into the college ranks. Um, if I had a dream choice uh, and he might not be ready, but I would be really interested to grab Brian Hartline <laughs> from Ohio State. OK, he is, you know, he's turned out. Every year he turns out two receivers that get drafted and, you know, are in the running for rookie of the year. And it's going to happen again this year. Um, he is an excellent, and I, again, college and the pros, huge jump. And I don't know if he would be willing to take on all the rest of an offense, but if, if ever there was a guy that was really good at his craft, um, I'd be really interested to see what Hartline's going to do. And then uh, I can't remember his name and I feel terrible for that, but this one's going to spin some people's heads. The offensive coordinator at William and Mary. <laughs> okay. We're diving deep. They, they had one of the most creative offenses in the country last year. And I think if you're going to have a guy like Justin Fields, he is not prototypical, right? You do not need a cookie cutter offense that you're going to try and force Justin into. I think that is not a credit to him and I don't think it will work as well. I don't think you'll get as much out of him. So why not leverage his amazing strengths and do so in a way that, you know, would make people chase. And I want my offensive coordinator or my defensive coordinator for that matter to do that. Um, we just heard in a press conference today, they asked the Green Bay players like, hey, how many times did you not run the play that was called? And they were like, uh, once. And that was just because it was late. Like we never changed because of the defense. That's wrong. I'll, I'll just tell everybody at home. Like that's that's not even high school. That's like JV stuff. Like if you can run your whatever you call basically 100% of the time with no changes, the person on the other side is not working hard enough. Just 100% straight up, no BS. So get somebody that's going to throw some wrinkles out there. And look, they're not all going to work. And it was not all trick play stuff. We're not talking about fumble ruski. We're talking about really creative alignments, different shifts and formations, um, fantastic stuff. If I had to pick somebody in the league, ooh. So, uh, Christian Taylor is the William and Mary offensive coordinator. Okay. There you go. Uh, that's from, that's an assist from the editor. Uh, that Lester. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, no, Bruce Feldman, uh, who writes for the athletic called him out last year. Uh, read the entire article, went back and watched some of his all 22. Cause I have access to it. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is cool. Um, so that's just, that's a wild out there. If I had to stay in a league, Ooh, um, Ooh, I really like it's hard because they all get plucked, right? You basically, you kind of can't go one level down. You have to go two levels down. You have to go to a, a position coach and say, Hey, now you're in charge of the entire offense. Um, boy, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys out there though that are like run game coordinators or pass game coordinators. I would want somebody focused on the passing offense just because of the way the league's going. And, and that I think is where everyone agrees that Justin needs his development. So I'd want somebody with a specialty there. 
Mm, I'm going to dig around. I'm going to find a name. I'm not just going to pull one because there's, there's a lot of maybes, but it's so hard because if you're good at this, like I could say Ben Johnson, but that's cheating, right? Ben Johnson's probably going to be a head coach next year. He took head coach interviews this year. Yeah. And I think that that's a fair thing to, to, to say though. I mean, there's, there's a couple paths here. One, nobody changes and they get that figured out, which would be great. Right. Uh, two is the more traditional thing that we see is if, if somebody struggles, the coordinator gets let go, particularly if it's a defensive coach, the offense coordinator gets let go, uh, you know, et cetera, or there's a clean house and you get a new head coach. And then you're talking about elevating one of those offensive coordinators that have, have proven something, which could be your Ben Johnson. Right. So I, I think more than anything though, <clears throat> what you're, what you're talking about is someone who's willing to look at the strengths of the players that they have and craft a system around them. Right. And those are the, as opposed to the other way around that says, well, this is the system. And so you need to fit in here. Mm. And, and that is, that was a lot of what I think I saw on Sunday was, well, this is the system. This is how it works. And so we're going to, we need you to fit in here. And Justin Fields has certain tools that make him really special. And it didn't seem like any of those special tools were being used and it was, we need you to fit into this box over here. And if not, then like, that's your fault, man. And that was what was so frustrating about it. Cause you know that he has tools to be successful in different ways. Yeah. He also has to use the tools. He has to use more of the tools he has within structure. Sure. And so it, again, this is a push and a pull. I'm not going to say Justin was perfect. And I'm certainly not going to say Luke Gessie was perfect. They were both imperfect in what, the result was what you saw on the field, which was horrendous. But there were opportunities that Luke Getzey, I want to be very clear about this for, for giving him criticism, but also for giving him praise. There were opportunities that were there. There were open, and I mean W-A-O, wide-ass open, like as open as you're ever going to see at any level. College pros, you know, DJ Moore was wide open. Claypool was wide open two or three times, uh, two times at least that I can think of. Three was more like league open, which is, hey, he's covered, but you could throw it to him. Um, and so the opportunities were there. And for one reason or another, some people will blame protection. Some people will blame, you know, flash of color in Justin's face. He was he was progressing to check downs incredibly quickly, uh, quicker than he has to. And combined with some other elements of his game, he was leaving plays on the field. Um, JT O'Sullivan, quarterback, uh, former quarterback in the league, now has his own channel on YouTube, analyzes quarterback play. He calls them turndowns, right? When there is a schemed up opportunity, there is a window and the guy is open, you have to throw it. Like that's the way the offense works. We built it to do this. It's there. We know you've got the arm to do it. You got to let it go. And there were multiple times game on Sunday where that occurred. Receiver ran the right route. It was open. It was on time. He was at the top of his drop. He's got to rip it. And he didn't. And right. that is super frustrating. So we know he can rip it, but he has to. So he has to grow in that area. And yeah, don't just put him in the box and try and make him do that solely because you are then limiting some of his extraordinary ability to change a game. And again, we didn't see a quarterback run until the second half and it was ill-timed and uh, didn't work out very well. Yeah, there were there was a lot of questionable stuff that happened in in, in both halves. Uh, yeah, it was it was equal opportunity in every quarter. Um, 
Let's uh, let's get to one of the comments here that's on the live stream. Uh, Kenny asks, polls claims to to have not taken Pickens, the wide receiver that went to uh, uh, Pittsburgh, and Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle, of course, that went to Philly because of attitude and off-the-field issues, um, but gives Nate Davis a three-year contract who certainly had a very interesting off-season in Chicago by not practicing and you know, some undisclosed reasons. We don't really know the whole story there. And then giving a second-round pick for Chase Claypool, uh, that's not making him look too hot right now. Um, and I, I do feel like there's a little bit of uh, a juxtaposition here. There's there's a little bit of this is what we say, you know, Ryan Poles. This is what we say. You know, we're character matters. That's that that's our number one thing. And so that's why we're not going to take a guy like Jalen Carter, which he landed in the perfect position. Jalen Carter's got a really good support system. That's a really good established veteran locker room he's probably in the best position for Jalen Carter to be successful. Okay. Um, pick in same thing, right? That's an organization that has turned out really good wide receiving talent year after year. It's a stable organization. That's a really good landing spot for Pickens. It may not have been all that great. If he would have landed in Chicago, you don't know. That's the sliding doors universe type thing. But you say that, and then you do hand out a contract and draft capital for people that have sort of, some question marks behind them that I think that if you did a base level research, which I'm sure that they do much more than a base level research, that those question marks were established. It's not like Tennessee had, you know, a couple of really good guards and they just had to make a tough decision and they let him go. Like Tennessee's offensive line is not very good. They're not, they're not talent rich. Right. So there was a reason why Mike Rabel let him go. We've heard a little bit from Bill Zimmerman that it, it sure seemed like, they didn't like him. And so what is that reason? Why is this guy available? That's something that you have to ask yourself. And a guy like Claypool, who looks like an amazing wider, like he's body beautiful, right? He's everything that you would want in terms of what a wide receiver looks like and he can dominate. Why is it he available for a team that's still competing? Why is he available for a team like Pittsburgh that's always in the mix, right? So you have to ask yourself those questions. Why would you go out and get those guys when you're also saying at the same time, we're going to pass on these players because character counts? Yeah, <laughs> we're not starting off with the easy ones. Uh, again, a lot of layers to all of this and legitimate questions about both um, players and some. I feel like there's always. Uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and there's a little bit of revisionist history that happens when something doesn't work out. And it doesn't matter whether it's a play call or a player acquisition or whatever else. People look back and go, you shouldn't have done it. Um, but then if it works out, you know, you don't always get lauded for it being great either. That's that's the job of general manager. And I get it. But it reminds me of the whole, you know, not to open really old wounds, but Mahomes Trubisky debate. And I think everybody agrees that if Patrick Mahomes had come to Chicago when when he got drafted in that era of Chicago football, he would not have developed anywhere near the same uh, that he has again in the situation where he went to Kansas City's under Andy Reid, um, gets a year to develop and then comes out and, and plays extraordinary football. And everybody goes, oh, well, you should have drafted him. Uh, I, I don't really think so. Right. I, I pretty firmly believe that Chicago would have ruined him. Um, and that would have been a bummer for football. And that 
that gives you a lot more pause about your organization. If you're saying, well, if you can't draft good players, cause you're going to ruin them, what's wrong with you? That those two are legitimate questions. Um, in terms of Davis, um, it's really interesting because like he played, he didn't practice a lot. We know that we don't know why Iberflus talked about it a little bit. We'll see for a guy that hadn't practiced. He had a bunch of good plays on Sunday. He showed He's a good power player. He showed more power than anybody else on the offensive line. Now he ended up in the wrong place a couple of times, uh, but he, you know, he he got swiped on a on a quick wipe. That was the immediate pressure down near the goal line. But there were a lot of good plays where he was moving people, where he was sealing people with duo blocks. He had a he had some solo movement run blocks in the run game, which a lot of other players on that line did not. Um, so you know, you being a former offensive lineman, polls as well. You understand if you make one bad play, that's the one that's going to show up and you can make, you know, 55 other good ones and nobody's going to talk about those. It's, it's all about consistency. So he's got to bring the consistency up, but the ability is there and and possibly at the top end of that line. He might be the most talented player on that line. Yeah, it, as is Tevin Jenkins is out and Darnell Wright is learning as a rookie sure like i think you know and and cody white here is on the down there is a time where i think you're probably right that he could be the best player but um i I think that it's a it's a fair point to make that there's a little bit of inconsistency with those moves um but i hope the best for nate davis and hopefully he plays himself into whatever shape he needs to be in and he cleans some of that stuff up he had a few rough pass blocking reps, which I think is what mm-hmm. people are, are focused on. This one's from our friend Bill Zimmerman. Uh, we're talking about Claypool, so why not bring this one up? If you were forced to bet your life savings, needing 200 yards receiving this season out of Chase Claypool, <laughs> would you hide all of your money in a Swiss bank account? Oh, we were talking about this uh, before the show. 200 yards receiving for the season. Well, if you look at the Bears receiving totals has zero. last year. Yeah, currently a zero. Uh, and if I had my way, and I'll just put this out there, Chase Claypool would sit for the first half of the next game. Again, he ran a bunch of good routes and was open and Justin didn't hit him. I understand that happens as a wide receiver. You've got to deal with that, especially with a quarterback who is still developing. In year three, he doesn't always hit the open window no quarterback always hits the open window, but he hits it a lot less than a lot of other quarterbacks, even some much younger quarterbacks, which is a bummer. Uh, so I understand frustration as a wide receiver. Hey, I'm, I'm wide open over here and I didn't get hit. That does not in any way excuse some of the effort that Claypool gave later in that game. And I, I put effort in air quotes, the lack of effort. And I would sit him and people say, that's JV. That's high school. You can't do that. These are pro athletes. Well then play like a pro athlete, play like you're making your living playing football. And like, you want to do that. And Claypool clearly did not do that. And I would sit him for a half and that's, that's pretty punitive. I know some people will say that's not enough. Some people will say you got to cut him. And I understand that, but it's a lot for a professional football player to lose half of one seventeenth of their opportunity in what is typically a very short career. Um, And I would do it and I would be very public about it. I would say he is sitting. He is not playing until the second half against Tampa Bay. And the reason is because of the effort he gave in game one is not up to standard. And I would just leave it at that. I wouldn't belabor it. I wouldn't throw him under the bus anymore than that. I would say this is this is what's happening and this is why. Um, So 200 yards for the season. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't, he, he doesn't seem to be meshing very well 
well, nobody seems to be meshing very well right now with Justin Fields because Justin Fields just isn't very effective in the passing game right now. I wouldn't feel very confident. Life savings, got to be honest. Um, is it possible? Yeah, it's totally possible. But that's that's the thing with Claypool. That's the thing with Fields, right? Could they surpass that easily? Will they surpass that? Mm, I don't know. I I mean, if you're 22 years old, then <laughs> you can say, yeah, I put my life savings on this. We're old. You're a little older than me, but like we're old. Yeah. Okay. hundred percent. So it is not a good idea to put your life savings into anything like this, but particularly something where there is a non-zero chance that Chase Claypool sits for effort reasons, right? Like this could go really bad really quickly. This is, this is not a yeah. joke right now. He could bounce back next week. He could have, he could have two big spike plays. He could have a hundred yards. He, you know, it probably not going to happen against Tampa Bay, but like it, it's possible, right? Totally. And so, so yeah, I mean, you would think he's going to sail past this. He's going to have five, 600 yards on the year. Sure. But uh, no, I mean, just the nature of the question and my conservative uh, nature with money, my answer is no. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing, I, I'm, I'm starting Swiss bank accounts. I'm, I'm moving it all over there. You are, <laughs> You're going you, offshore. Chase Claypool is not going to take my money. We'll, we'll put it that yeah, way. So, I mean, just to be fair, like even on Sunday, if Justin hit him on two of the routes where he was wide open, I mean, wide open, as open as you're ever going to see an NFL wide receiver, he'd have 45 yards right now. Right. Like he would have got hit at 18 yards and run for another 10 on the first one. And he would have got hit at like 20 to 22 on the second one. Like he would have 45 yards right now and you'd be well on your way to your 200 yard total. He was really open. A lot of quarterbacks in the league, even backup quarterbacks are going to hit that. Like it was on time and it was wide open. So I will say at one point in my life, in my twenties, I had negative money. So I, yeah, exactly. You can that, take right? on my debt. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah that would have been great. Yeah. yeah go free. take it. Take yeah. it. That's nothing for to sure. a guy like Claypool. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to let somebody pay for these drinks. And on the other side of this, we're going to welcome in our friend who covers the bucks, JC Allen. So stick with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back and we are pleased to be welcomed by JC Allen, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Welcome, JC, to Bears Over Beers. Hey, guys, how you doing? Glad to be here. You know, we're doing all right. We got a couple of drinks in. We got a couple of laughs in. We got some questions. We're going, what are you drinking tonight? You got uh, it. That's a great can art, by the way. You got to ha- hold that up to the camera here. Oh, yeah. I mean, that feels Buccaneers themed here, right? You know, I, I figured when in Rome, right? It's a uh, Pirate Republic Brewing Company out of Nassau, Bahamas. This is the Long John Pilsner. Uh, it's a great beer. If you guys can find it, it's it's yeah. delicious. Um, they've got a couple of IPAs. They've got a Belgian wit, too, which is really nice as well. So, JC, oh. well played. We've had many guests who, A, didn't even bring a beer. I understand. Some of them were underage. That probably protected us. <laughs> but... Uh, the ones that do, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite appearances, the guy was like, hang on, I don't have one. We were like, what? He's like, no, there's a 7-Eleven right across the street. I'm going to go. <laughs> he comes back with like a 22 ounce silver bullet and he's like, hey, I just wanted to, you know, wanted to live in the moment. We're like, right. oh, okay. So this is well prepared with theme, A plus, 10 out of 10, no notes. Thank you. <laughs> and this is uh, this is also a man. Those of you that are not watching on YouTube with us that are listening later, you have a Bruce Arians eye patch shirt on. I do. Yes, yes. It's for I his, love it. uh, charity foundation that he that he started out here. Does a lot of great stuff. So it's my go to creamsicle. You know, orange when I'm on these. Plus, I figured bears, orange, bucks, creamsicle. Let's go with it, right? Let, let's start. Team. Let's start there, JC. I, I'm a uniform guy. I love talking uniforms. The creamsicles, I love them. I think yeah. they're fantastic. Uh, Bruce, the, the the bucko guy, right? Like that, all that stuff's good. My question is to you, do you prefer the full creamsicle? So the, the creamsicle base where it's the that orange color as the primary color, or do you like the whites with uh, with the creamsicle letter, lettering and numbering? Well, my favorite uniforms are the all pewter if we're, if we're getting down to like uniform talk, but I like the creamsicle, uh, the tops with the white pants. I think it's just a classic clean look uh, with the white helmets. I think it just ties everything together nicely. So, uh, but if we're going like the uniforms they are currently wearing those all pewters, they hit hard. There's no other team that has them in the league. You know, other teams got the all black, but the all pewters, they just, they hit different for me, but I, I'm not huge in the creamsicles i think they look great um i like some of the other retro uniforms better that are out there but they they certainly um they certainly hit a spot with the fan base even though not much success with them it's just you know the, the fan base loves the creamsicles so glad they brought them back last year they couldn't bring them back because of there i think they said there was a shipping issue or supply issue or something like that so i I, again, personally, I love them. It also harkens back to an era where your team was terrible. So I, I can understand. Maybe there's some bad juju with the creamsicle. Technically, uh, they're not my team. I just covered them. My team is actually a team that you guys uh, that you guys have something over me in the 1985 
Super Bowl there. So uh, oh. I'm, I'm originally a Boston-born guy. So, oh, well, your uh, team has done just fine since that game. Yes. Uh, so, so, so no worries there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would say just to like close the loop on the uniform thing, the, the lions had the all grays, which I thought were great, but I think they phased those out this year. So, um, that's, uh, that's unfortunate because I thought those were pretty sharp looking. So anyway, enough uniform talk. Let's talk about this team. So Baker Mayfield, uh, beat out Kyle Trask for the starting quarterback job of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, was that ever in doubt? Was it really a competition? And how has Baker looked so far? Is this something that they think they can get something out of? Or are they just holding their time for this rookie class that's coming up? It was a competition, but the odds-on favorite was always Baker. Uh, this is a team that was really high on Baker last year. Brady retired. They would have um, really considered strongly considered the possibility for trading for him uh, to bring him in here to be the starting quarterback last season. So they like Baker. Um, this system definitely fits better than what um, than what would have been last year with Byron's system. So I think they got the timing down a lot better. But you know, Trask was a second round pick. I think if he was taken in la- not last this past year's, but the prior one where Kenny Pickett was selected as the top quarterback. I think he probably would have been the first quarterback off the board. They got him in the second round. They really liked him. Development behind the scenes wasn't great with uh, uh, Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians. Um, So they gave him a chance to go out there. And and at the start, he was actually looked like the better quarterback until Baker kind of woke up and then just strung a bunch of practice together. Obviously, the preseason game. I uh, really kind of showed what he could do, and, and it was his job. It was always been his job to lose, but from there on out, it was going to be a difficult uphill battle for Trask to take it. The, the good thing about that battle, though, was, and Dave Canales is the offensive coordinator now, was a quarterback's coach last year with the Seahawks when he had Geno Smith and Drew Locke. The best thing that came out of that battle, besides these guys pushing each other, obviously competition breeds the best out of players, Um but it also gave this team a sense of hope that if something does happen to Baker, whether it's in, ineffectiveness or injury, Kyle Trask can step in. He's had plenty of time with the ones, and it's not like throw your hands up, up the season's over. We got our number two quarterback in there. The guys really uh, trust and, and were really impressed by what they saw from Kyle Trask. Guy who never got any reps with the number one team. He was out there slinging it, and I think they were impressed. They just went with a guy who had more starting experience, who's been there in the league and done that. And, and Baker was that option. And game one, it paid off. Well, uh, EJ, jump in when you want, but like, let's talk about game one. So you, you, your team goes into Minnesota. Minnesota was, uh, you know, a slight favorite as they should be. They were a playoff team last year, even if. A lot of us have been calling for their regression to come. They had an unbelievable mark in one score games uh, last year. Yep. More, they're more like a you know 500 team that was playing with house money all year. Uh, but they went into Minnesota, U.S. Bank Stadium, were able to grab the upset. What did you see in that game? Did that give you confidence that this team looks like something that maybe is going to exceed expectations that a lot of people have for them around the league? Or was this just uh, kind of that first week, whatever? No, definitely. I mean, I, I'm I'm more optimistic by nature. So I actually put out my season predictions on Saturday. I have them going ten and seven this season. I know the national talk around them is that they're going to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, right? They're gonna they'll be lucky to win five games. But when you look at this team, 
You know, the schedule they're playing, they're playing the AFC South, which outside the Jags are mm, not great. Uh, they're playing the NFC uh, NFC South, which is, if you watch this weekend, mm, not great. Uh, so there's a path right there for me to at least five wins. So five wins is not going to get you Caleb Williams, especially not with the um, with the Arizona Cardinals sticking around with two first-round draft picks from them and the Texans. So uh, I never thought they were in that area. I think going into this game, uh, I picked them to win it 23-20, to 20, and, and one of the biggest reasons was um, because I knew the defense would be stout. I knew they'd come out and, and they'd play uh, lights out, and they did. Um, had a little bit of trouble stopping Justin Jefferson in that first half to the tune of you know 138 yards. Shut him down in the second half, which is more – which is more what I expect from the Buccaneers defense. He only had two catches for 12 yards in that second half. But um, when you looked at it, Brian Flores comes in, a bunch of veterans jettisons that area Smith is gone. Eric Kendricks is not gone. You know, they, they're relying on a bunch of young talent and in Flores system, it is very complicated. Um, there's a lot of disguises. They're moving guys around, putting different pressure packages in. And I just felt like with the youth on that side of the football and no tape on Dave Canales at all, um, and his offense, what they were trying to do. I figured that they would be able to kind of have the edge in that department. Um, obviously, the Vikings offense was 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 really good. Um, you know, then the interior offensive line wasn't that great for them. I figured we'd be able to get some pressure and penetration. The Bucs did. Um, so it kind of played out a little bit the way I expected it to, a close game with the Bucs coming out on top. Um, and, and I think... You know, what you saw there, there was a really slow start from them in that first half. Finally, right before the half, they strung together a touchdown drive and the adjustments. That's the biggest thing for Bucks fans. There were no adjustments last year. There was no creativity. There was no scheming guys open. It was mano y mano. We're going to put our guys on your guys, and we're going to out-talent you. They just didn't have the talent. It was easy to do that in 2020 when they had Gronk and you know Brady and they had that offensive line and then they got a B midway through the season. You couldn't match up against anybody. You couldn't take any weapons away from you. And then la even last year, uh, before like injuries started to, to kick in, you know, or two years ago rather, with you know AB taking a shirt off and dipping out halfway through the Jets game, Chris Godwin going down against the Saints with a torn ACL. They couldn't out talent people and then last year was just a you know Leonard Fournette came into camp out of out of shape the offensive line was a mess uh Ryan Jensen goes down Luke Gedicke can't play left guard they're having you know just difficult issues Ryan Gage can't stay healthy so you know this year in a different offensive scheme the situation that they're in the kind of West Coast wide mid zone offense, it really puts the players in a better position to to succeed. And I think, you know, once those adjustments were made, you saw you saw how they came back and were able to put points on the board and control the time of possession, which was huge. Uh, second coming out of the half, receiving the kickoff, they held the ball for nine minutes. You know, like and that was, you know, that designed runs and quick quick taking those quick shots, and then you know, but before you know it, they're hitting that that big shot. You know that. That haymaker, you know, hitting body blow, body blow, body blow. And that's going to be the tune of this offense. And then hit him with a haymaker. And they're able to just hit him with one more punch than the Vikings could stand and came out victorious. Baker, haymaker, Mayfield. There's something there. <laughs> uh, make, make, make the T-shirt up. Uh, EJ, what, you know, what have you been talking about on bootleg about this Bucks team? Did you have them finishing low? Did you, did you have them competing a little bit in this uh, NFC South? We had them. Finishing low for sure, but I don't think that Caleb talk was 
reasonable. I think a lot of Bucks fans want that to be the case. Uh, I think they're still too talented for that, but right. they fall into a realm of a team that's opportunistic. And we saw that in week one. Like if the defense had not played as physically and they were super opportunistic with the ball, like, and look, that's the, the Bucks defensive identity. They are going to hit you in the mouth and they are going to create turnovers that way. They're going to be physical and aggressive. And they got the breaks in week one against the Vikings. They made the breaks. I'll say that um, makes it sound a little bit less like luck because that really is the way they force the issue on defense, but that's where their opportunity is going to be. I think Baker is a known known. There's a lot of tape on Baker from a lot of different offenses and he plays very similarly in all of them. He hasn't changed significantly from stop to stop. What he does is what he does. And as you start to add up tape on him, uh, the question I'd ask JC is, are you worried about that reversion to Baker? <laughs> because it seems like he comes in hot and then he becomes Baker Mayfield midseason and it becomes much more of a 50-50 proposition. Yeah, I, I think, too, part of the problem, I mean, this is a guy who's had seven different head coaches before Todd Bowles and six different offensive coordinators. So he has not gotten the the positive end of the stick most of the time. His best season came in in 2020, and that was in uh, Kevin Stefanski's offense, which is a very <laughs> similar derivative of this Mike Shanahan offense. Obviously, they got went 11 and 5. Let him to nearly the AFC Championship game if the defense can make a stop on that Chad Henry, you know, fourth and thirteen run. We're talking about a different situation. Maybe Baker's getting that bag, and they're not going after Deshaun Watson. Um, I think this offense is much better fit for him. Last year was just such an aberration. The Car the Carolina Panthers were never a good offensive fit for his skill set at all. I think that was more of an ownership move to kind of. I just got the team. Let's get a, a name in here. The former Heisman Trophy winner. That didn't work out. Matt Rule's back co coaching college football. And Baker got shifted off to the Rams and, and had a great game that first game, but then was dealing just too much to overcome. Allen Robinson, just not an effective player anymore. Cooper Cup out. Offensive line in shambles. Hard for him to get anything going. So, well, there is that worry that, you know, is he going to force it, right? Is he going to make those plays where he shouldn't put it in, in those dangerous situations where he's going to rack up those turnovers. And for me, the most I have to go on is that 2020 season in a derivative of this Shanahan, you know, style McVay style offense where he was able to protect the ball. He's got better weapons than he did now. Um, and I think that if he can play that way, play that smart football where he's not, um, turning the ball over, taking those throwaways. Like he had a couple of them on Sunday where, you know, he just made the smart play, threw it away. And I think that's something that Coach Canales has really kind of instilled in him. It's like, hey, if it's not there, throw it away. You know, if it's if if the deep ball is not there, check it down. You know, getting those positive yardage and putting us in a better situation is is better than nothing at, at that point. So um there's a chance, certainly, that he reverts to the Baker we've seen at previous stops, and I think he's healthy now. Obviously, although he did pop up on the injury report with a right shoulder um, after you know taking a couple of hits this past weekend, we'll see if that's anything to watch. Um, but I, I think if he can stay healthy and this shoulder's not going to be an issue for him, I, I don't see a reason why he kind of can't back get back to putting up those numbers with a talent wide receiver around him. Everywhere else is question marks, tight end like. 
you know, running back, you got to prove it. Didn't have a successful week, but I think with with Mike and with with Chris, I mean, those are two outstanding round receivers that can separate and, and make all the catches on the, on the field. So it, it'll it'll be interesting to to monitor his situation, especially when he goes up against some better defenses. Week three is where I got my my circle right there on the calendar. Um, no offense to the Bears, but this is not a defense that really puts fear in you. Um, and I don't think the Vikings were either with all their offseason changes. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch his his progression or regression this season. Well, no offense taken. We we just took shots at the Bears offense and defense for the first 30 <laughs> minutes of this show. Uh, but but let me uh, let me ask you this. A typical Bears fan you know, sees Tampa Bay, you know, maybe a couple times a year on TV, or maybe they just watch Bears games. They only see him, you know, every other year or so. They're going to know Chris Godwin. They're going to know Mike Evans. They know Baker Mayfield because, you know, he's he's a famous quarterback. Uh, maybe they know Tristan Wirfs. Maybe they know Vita Vey. Who who else on this Buccaneers team should Bears fans know about that's playing well that you know that you really need to to be worried about uh, when the Bears take them on on Sunday? Well, Antoine Winfield Jr. is one of them. Uh, guys playing lights out. Um, <laughs> he's uh, uh, he's a uh, podcast favorite of me and EJ. So yeah, he's 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 an amazing player. Improved it last. His PFF grade wasn't great last week, uh, but he got left out to dry in coverage, but. Obviously, getting after Kirk Cousins, hit him twice, uh, got that forced fumble, strip sack, fumble recovery, um, and he's just a dynamic player that can play at all levels on the field. So he's another guy. Devin White probably had his best game as a Buccaneer this past weekend, um, and you know he was just flying to the ball, making smart, instinctive decisions, um, really getting after it. I, I think he's a name you have to watch at, at linebacker. Obviously, always Levante David. Um, if you don't know who Levante David is, um, it's a shame because everyone should know who he is. He's probably one of the most underrated linebackers who've ever played football. Uh, came in with Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley and uh, just hard to get to overshadow those two guys because they were great in their own right. On the offensive side, Trey Palmer is quietly, or not really quietly, but has had an explosive uh, start to his career in the preseason, two touchdowns, uh, made a Superman catch in the third one. Uh, and, and last week he caught his first touchdown, so he's a guy. I think they've got a good stable of running backs. Rashad White didn't get off to the great start, and he's he's PO'd about it, so watch out, Bears fans. Uh, Sean Tucker, their undrafted guy, probably would have been a second-round pick or at least the early, early day, late day three, potentially second round pick if he was healthy. Um, he's another guy to, to kind of take a peek on on the offensive side. And the corners, they don't get love too because they don't get interceptions. But Carlton Davis has shut down some of the best cornerbacks in the league and on a year-in, the year-out basis. Jamar Chase last year being one of them. Um, and then Jamel Dean is one of the best press man coverage corners in the league. Uh, he's finished out with a coverage grade per pro football fake focus. Uh, number three only to Jalen Ramsey and Jair Alexander the last three years. Problem is that Bowles doesn't like to play press man coverage that much. He's more of a, a zone coverage guy. But when those guys are, have the ability to lock up one-on-one, with a, they can take them away. Uh, they've taken away some of the best guys in the league. So those are some names on offense, defense to definitely look out for. Jake Camarda as a punter is probably one of the best punters in the league right now, very quietly. He's just he, – he can boom it. He gives it great hang time to let the special teams get down there and do their job. So I'll give you a special teamer there too. <laughs> But we like our punter. EJ, what do you got? I'm 
I'm looking forward to it. It's an interesting game. I think much more interesting than again, when you were looking at this game, probably in the summer, when the season, when the schedule came out, you're thinking, okay, I think I know what this game is after week one bucks played above what most people thought they were going to do. And the bears played well below what most people thought they were going to do. So a um, little bit of juxtaposition, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, different storylines like Bucks looking to continue that good energy, that opportunistic we can play with anybody sort of a sort of a bent. Bears just need to turn everything around. So I think it's a much more interesting matchup uh, on the field in week two than it was on paper in the summer. JC, you down in, in Tampa? Do you live down there? I am, yeah. Yep, I'm down in Tampa, Tampa, boots on the ground at this at the facility, at the stadium. I'll be there on Sunday. So so for Bears fans that are traveling down to the Big Sombrero or whatever it's called, uh, the pirate ship, uh, any recommendations for food or, you know, a good time before we get you out of here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's several places, depending on how long you're going to be here, how close you want to be to the stadium. I mean, uh, there's a couple places down over there on Dale Mabry. Um, the Brass Taps, a good spot for, you know, some some pregame festivities. Uh, they got um Dill's Dylan's over there. It's a nice spot over on Boy Scout. Um, if you're coming down for the weekend and you want to kind of check out some some more spots that aren't like specifically game day related, uh, the getaway is a good spot. Jackson's Bistro is a nice spot. If you're looking for like a nice steak dinner, Burns is probably the best steakhouse in uh, Tampa, but uh, meat market for the vibes for sure. They've got really good steak and, and it's a nice little area. So, um, Another one, Whiskey Joe's, is like right on the causeway there. So it's like you're right on the beach. Jet skis can pull right up. It's got that. The food isn't the food isn't a plus, but the atmosphere is. So it's like one of those places you want to go. You know, kind of feel like you're at the beach at Tampa without having to go all the way to the beach. Whiskey Joe's is a good spot. But yeah, there's there, there's a few spots. I'm excited for this matchup. I, I think that you know the Bucks have their hands full, like every single team in the league trying to contain Justin Fields. Um, you know, the Chase Claypool thing is kind of uh, a question mark, you know, uh, after watching some of what I saw last week. I'm not sure what to make out of that. I think Mooney has such high hopes and kind of regressed the past few years. And DJ Moore is a weapon. You got to look out for him. I'm excited to see this three-headed running back group. I was really high on Rashawn Johnson, really wanted the Bucks to grab him. Um, I think he's going to be a stud and probably take over that backfield by by midseason. So excited to see him on the defensive side. <sighs> you know, I just don't know about this Bears team. They've got some some players. I don't think Yannick moves the needle. He can get out there as a pass rush, but a liability everywhere else. Eddie Jackson's as steady as they come as, as a veteran. You've got a lot of young guys here um, that, that need to step up in that secondary other than him. I do like Jaquan Brisker a lot as well. Let's see how those additions of, of the linebackers with Ed, Edmonds and Edwards play out. But I'm excited for this matchup. I think um, I, I like the Bucks a little bit more than the Bears, um, especially after last week. But I still think there's a way that the Bears can can certainly make this difficult. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary and uh, really appreciate the time and the knowledge and uh, for hopping on with us and Thanks for bringing on a cool beer too. You you get first <laughs> place. I think you're. That's the. I think EJ's right. The, no one has nailed it quite like you did with that uh, team right. appropriate beer. So, uh, JC Allen, everybody, where can they find you on Twitter and on the web? Yeah, so JC Allen NFL at Twitter. 
Uh, follow me there. I'm kind of your one-stop shop for all Bucks, whether it's stuff the Bucks are putting out, cool little videos, clips, analytics, obviously my own work over at uh, Sports Illustrated Bucks Game Day. You can follow us there too. You know, I, I always like to say and when, when people ask, where can they follow you? I'm a football fan first and foremost. You know, Pats are my team. I cover the Bucks. If both of those teams disappeared, I'd still be in the football because it's just such a great game. And I feel like most fans feel the same way. If the Bears up or gone, you'd find another team or you just latch on to the league. So if you're one of those people, just want to know what's going on about the with teams in the league and, and want to just keep tabs on the Bucks just to be more informed for conversational pieces or just because you love football, definitely give my tweet, uh, my Twitter a follow and, and I'll keep you guys informed all all year long. But you can find everything I'm writing, all my content over at uh, Bucks Game Day, uh, powered by Sports Illustrated. So got a lot of cool things. I'll actually be having my scouting report on the Bears coming out tomorrow, all by my keys to cannon fire on Friday. I love it. All right, JC, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Have a good Absolutely. night. Absolutely. Cheers, guys. All right, so that was JC Allen, uh, Bucks guy, and a lot to say about the Bucks, and a, lot, a little bit to say about the Bears too, right? He, he kind of knew uh, what he was talking about here, and, and some of the guys to talk about. Nice to hear another team fan writer's perspective on who the guys are that kind of pop out to them, right? Um, mentioning Roshan, I hear a lot of Roshan talk in terms of like he's going to take over RB. I mean, like everybody wants him to take over RB one. And I think I'm like the lone voice. It's like, you know, Khalil Herbert's really good. Like he's, he's really explosive. Like he's worked on the, you know, catching balls out of the backfield. He looks a little more natural there. Uh, you know, I don't think Herbert's going to let go of these reins anytime soon. Um, but what are you seeing with Roshan versus Herbert? I, I really don't think we need to think of it as versus. I think there's yeah, so much. Fun. There's so much in sports media that is binary, right? It's good or it's bad. It's black or it's white. You're number one or, you know, it's Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. I don't think it has to be that way. Like the Bears will benefit if both of these guys are like, I'm the number one, right? It's I don't think running back is like quarterback. I don't think a, you know, a running back battle for the number one spot's going to divide a locker room. Like if Khalil Herbert's out there making plays and Roshan's out there making plays, that's just good for the bears and Roshan. I think what attracts him and what we knew would attract fans to him. And, and what I tried to tell people in the pre-draft process is he's exceptionally good. He's exceptionally skilled. He's got great size, but the way he plays with the energy and you even saw it on the pick six, like really good effort from him. He didn't make the tackle. He put on a big hit. He didn't wrap up. I'm going to give him a pass as a running back. After that, he got up and chased the guy down to the pylon. He was the guy at the end of the play, even though he was the guy that hit and bounced off. He got back up, chased the guy down 20 yards and made, you know, an attempt at the pylon. Like that's the kind of effort he plays with on offense. Obviously, you know, on a busted play, he's doing that first play he came in, you know, the one that really set him off on that touchdown drive in the third quarter, he ran the hell over a defender. Right. And bears fans are always going to love that, that power inside. He's got speed. He's got size. Like, He's pretty good in the passing game. I'm not going to say he's a weapon. He's certainly not like his teammate Bijan in that particular, but he's not helpless there and he's great in pass protection. So having him as a, I'm not even going to say a number two, I'm going to say a one B right. Khalil or one a one a one B with Khalil Herbert. You know how much I like Khalil Herbert had some limitations, worked on him in the off season, but does provide a level of burst that you're not typically going to see out of Roshan. He's fast for his size, but 
he's not Khalil Herbert quick. And having that, people typically say thunder and lightning, right? I I don't love that metaphor, but you know, two really good options at running back is a good thing for Chicago. Want to get back to the questions here? So so Kenny in the live stream uh, again here. What what do you guys make of Brisker and more calling out the fans for booing and particularly booing early in that game? Um, how the game was going from play calling, confusion, or lack of effort. Uh, Kenny thinks that the booing was justified. So we've talked a little bit about booing in the past. This is not a new thing for Chicago, unfortunately. This is something where the boo birds will come out pretty early and often uh, when they're not happy. And I think a lot of fans feel justified in being able to do that. I've heard like, look, I paid a lot of money for these tickets and the product on the field isn't very good. I deserve to be able to do that. I'm more of someone who's like, I would never do that. Like I, I just, I would never boo my own team. Um, I would certainly try to get an opposing team to boo their team when I was there in disguise, like I did when I was up at U.S. <laughs> Bank Stadium, and I, I started a fire Zimmer chant, um, and my whole section actually took it up and did it. Uh, so that was amazing, right? I, I'm into that. Like, that's a thing that I'm into, but I'm not into booing my own team at their at at their home stadium that doesn't really work for me that but i'm not like this is one of those where it's like fan how you want to fan it's hard for me to like like kind of walk that back and be like you shouldn't do x y and z i just don't understand it i don't understand why you would want to boo and i can get being frustrated but i don't understand why you would spend all that money go watch your team and and then boo them so i, I don't know where you're at and and the reaction from the players talking about the fans booing and, and being frustrated with that. Look, it's a crappy situation all the way around. I guarantee that no matter how much money you're being paid as a player, you know, if people showed up and walked in right now and started booing me because they thought this podcast sucked. I wouldn't like it. Like nobody likes that. I get it. But if this podcast sucked and people were frustrated and they felt they need to tell me that. And that's the way they chose to do it. I don't really buy the money argument. Like I paid a lot of money, so I have a right to do whatever. I, I don't think that's a great justification for anything. Um, I, I understand people being frustrated hundred percent. And I understand people saying this isn't good enough. And if the way you choose to do that is booing. Okay. Like I get it. It's not something I do. Am I thoroughly frustrated and will I, you know, put some very pointed words towards the coaching staff and players who I think are not performing up to a standard of their peers around the National Football League? Yeah, that's my job. I get to call it like I see it. Um, I try and do that respectfully because now I'm in a position where I might end up across a table from those people and I have to think about how I want to talk about their job performance. Like I would want people to talk about mine and look, you know, me, if I'm screwing up, I would rather somebody's honest with me and sit me down and go, dude, you're not cutting it. Like it's not good enough right now. And booing is a sort of overt extension of, I don't get to talk to you directly. I'm telling you, I don't think this is good enough. And if that's the way you choose to do it, I get it as a player you can ask for better, but you also need to provide better in that case, right? If the product on the field is garbage, you can't expect people to just keep cheering like endlessly. Like that's not going to happen. So you got to be realistic about it. Like 
The bottom line is like, it kind of reminds me of like unwritten rules in baseball. Like, Oh, we're going to do this. or We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Like, Hey, you don't like home runs, throw a better pitch. Like you don't like getting booed, put in some good effort and win close games. Like that's the NFL is a meritocracy and that's the bottom line. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, I don't, I don't agree with the act of booing. Cause just cause I just wouldn't do it, I guess is what I'm saying, yep. but I don't really get the, like, saw the hurt feelings from the like hey like come out and play better play hard if you played hard and you still lost i you wouldn't get booed that that's i think really the frustration was is this smart play is this are you seeing the hustle are you seeing none of that and right? that's that's hard because some players were like we talked about rush well, sure it's not play. uniform it's and, not a yeah that's rush. the thing is like on that very same play there were other players whose effort was clearly lacking and i've said already that i would sit one of them and there's another one that i would sit as well for the same reason and i would say the same thing and i would be very clear about it you don't need to be punitive in terms of like you know getting on a guy kicking him when he's down but you can clearly say look he gets paid to do a job he didn't do the job in the way that we need him to or that we expect and this is the result and if he doesn't want this again he better get good like all right let me hit some more bill zimmerman questions because these are fun um, are you a firm believer in the strategy of trading the first overall pick for a wide receiver and throw the opposing defense off their game by only allowing him to touch the ball twice? So this is in reference to DJ Moore yeah. only getting two targets, catching both of them uh, for a very disappointing first game in Navy and orange. So I obviously Bill's being very funny here, but like, no, what what are we doing here? Like, like yeah. the offense should be running through DJ Moore, and yeah. to only throw him the ball a few times on the same drive, uh, and and that's it. That that, that can't happen ever again. Like that, this needs this guy needs to have, you know, basically Justin Jefferson level targets for this team, or, or otherwise, why did you go out and do this? He's an incredibly talented wide receiver. I was convinced that this was the plan going into the season was that you were going to run your offense through him and that would make everybody else better. But it sure did not look like that in week one. Yeah. We get away from this with modern coverage of the NFL because we're even guilty of this. We talk about, Oh, it's the quarterback and the offensive coordinator's chance to show up this defense. Like DJ Moore was open. Like DJ Moore is Often open. He is a very, very good football player. Again, if Justin had hit him on, I will go back to three particular plays where he was open, his stat line would have been very different. The Bears' offensive success likely would have been very different. Their points uh, would have been more positive as well. Um, so he's he's out there doing his job in terms of effort, and we just talked about players playing hard and playing well and, and doing the right thing. He's He's out there doing all that stuff. And he's not getting hit on those. Now, he has some experience with that coming from Carolina. It doesn't make it good or bad. Um, I think he's going to be probably a little bit quieter about it, but he's not happy about it. And what I'm really not happy with is Eberflus coming out. And look, I know head coaches have to. This is why I would never make a great head coach. Head coaches have to say stuff that they know isn't true. So Eberflus knows that DJ Moore has to get the ball more. He comes out and goes, yeah, we need to have a plan. We need to have a package. We need to have a rule. We need to have a whatever. Um, reminds me of, you know, Coach Tice and the, the Randy Moss ratio, right? The Randy ratio, you got to get your, your primary playmaker the ball a certain amount of times uh, because it's good for the football team. Like Eberflus knows that, but I, 
it's so hard for me not to hear in my ears like Tressman and Nagy and and even Dick Jaron to go back saying, oh yeah, we know we got to get our good players the ball more often, like endlessly on a loop and and then not doing it. So I almost rather would not hear it and him say, yeah, I know, like watch next week. Like that's what I want to hear is we're going to do it more. We're going to find a way to do it more. We're going to make a way for that to happen because he is probably the second most talented player on that offense in terms oh, of no pure question. physical skill. Like it's not rocket science. Get your good players, the ball and you'll win more like end of story. So find a way. And they didn't find a way in week one. All right. A couple more from Bill and we'll, we'll close it up and get out of here. Um, if Alan Williams, the defensive coordinator for Chicago bears oh, had God. a secondary of Deion Sanders, Darrell Rivas, Rod Woodson, Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott, would he still sit? in a soft zone on third and long. Yes, I believe you would. And I am no great fan of this. And there have been calls about what is he actually doing? I had those calls last year. Um, it was easier to blame personnel last year. They were even more deficient on the defensive line. So if they were completely toothless, it's like, well, they don't really have any threats. Like their best threat on the defensive line last year is a guy that was plan B after they tried to sign a free agent. It didn't work because of a physical and they pivoted like that was their best guy on the defensive line last year. This year, that's not the case. And it looks very much the same. So that call's going to get louder. That drum beat's going to get heavier. Like, what are you doing? Like standing four guys and running, standing four guys up and running them into blocks is, is not, how you play defense really at any level um you're not gonna have we talked about it before the show if you have four killers up there if you've got you know the giants line that went to the super bowl with eli if you've got the 85 bears line if you've got like a bunch of meat eaters up there yeah you can just stand them up and say go hunt the bears clearly don't have that so you gotta do something else you gotta pivot you gotta say hey dominique robinson i realize you might not be the heaviest edge shutter but you're pretty darn mobile i need to loop you four or five times a game i need to bring you blazing with your ears pinned back through the a gap like because you're fast and if somebody misses the handoff you're gonna blast a quarterback and that's gonna look really good i should put you in the best situation i don't see that from Allen Williams and and to a point the defensive line coach and it's always tough because we're not in the room we don't know what he's being tasked to do by his DC or or vice versa what he's teaching what he's not teaching but right now the product on the field I'm just going to say flatly from the defensive line perspective has to be better like if they run back the effort and the scheme that they ran in week one they're going to get run off the field like the other 16 games like you cannot win in the nfl with zero pressure like it, it just doesn't work i think a lot of the focus after the first week was on luke getsy and the and deservedly so you should definitely be concerned about whatever that was on offense and that's what we want to focus on because we're trying to figure out exactly what's happening with justin fields i know a lot of people were 100 percent bought in before the year and now they're questioning that or some people were questioning it and now they're out or like whatever I, I, you shouldn't overreact to one week but it is concerning right like the alarm bell should be going off but you know my tape that i got <laughs> the offense at all 22 didn't work for me so i started watching the all 22 defense and yeah. i got really frustrated i was able to watch <laughs> that before bears uh bear and balance on on monday and I got to watch some of it before we started the show. And I was like, 
losing my mind um, because it was it was so so bad and and it was just it was assuming that you had Hall of Famers at every position. Some some of the things that were being called, you know, very few blitzes. I Pro Football Reference had had them down for five blitzes, meaning that they brought more than four only five times for a, a defensive line that's not very talented. Right. Like that, that number should be way higher. It was like 16 percent, particularly against a, a guy making his second career start. You got to heat that guy up. Yeah. You got to force him into bad decisions. You're not, you should just be sitting back. And then on the back end to just be playing these zones, uh, these soft zones, as opposed to challenging these inexperienced wide receivers and trying to knock them off their routes. I mean, it was easy pickings for, for Jordan Love. Now, give him credit. He, sure. he made the plays he had to. His numbers aren't that good, but he made the plays that he had to. And, and then by the end, they looked pretty decent, right? Three touchdowns and no interceptions, right? Yeah, he didn't. He had all day to throw and he could he, he it was pretty simple coverage and he could diagnose it and he could throw it uh, to, to where he knew his wide receivers were going to be. He, there's going to be much stiffer challenges uh, on this schedule than Jordan Love. And uh, a wide receiving core that was missing Christian Watson. Like this is, this is, this is one of the easier tests that you're going to face. And so if this is what we're going to get, Alan Williams is going to run this team into a top five pick by himself, right? That that's what we're talking about here. It doesn't even matter how good the the offense plays. If the defense is being called in a way that takes off all of the athletic ability and, and whatever, and just plays this very simple stuff, everything's vanilla they're going to get run out of town by it, more than half the teams on the, on the schedule. So, all right. And we're going to end on this one because this one is very funny. Um, if we cut Tevin Jenkins legs off at the knee so that we eliminate his calf issues, uh, would he be better than what the bears currently have on the interior offensive line? How about we rephrase that? Because that's a ridiculous way to say it, but like is, 75% of, of Tevin Jenkins. If he comes back, he's not full Tevin Jenkins, but he's, you know, somewhat limited, but he's, you know, he, he's not in danger of, of, of re-injuring himself, right? Let me say it this way. Would he provide more, <laughs> more ability uh, to, to have an impact in, in the run game positively than what they're trotting out there right now on the interior line? I don't care at this point. <laughs> Like, this is the clear, I don't care. And this is largely from Ryan Poles being a former offensive lineman. Like, that comes with a different level of knowledge and understanding about the importance of that position, what it requires. Hopefully, you have a better handle on the traits you want in that position on your team and, and what you need to be successful. And again, I understand that this was about getting Justin weapons and that absolutely needed to happen. And all of this is really an indictment of how bad the roster was in the late pace era, right? Poles cleaned all that out, but the cupboard was extremely bare. There were not a lot of good young players that, you know, you can lean on as a core. So you really are starting over from zero. And I really expected Ryan Poles this offseason, not last offseason because he didn't have the resources and they were clearly playing a waiting game for this year to sort of go overkill to take the shotgun approach on the offensive line and make a hundred percent sure. I mean, damn sure that they were not going to be short because they saw what happened when they were short last year and how badly that, um, you know, sorry about the pun hamstrung the offense. Um, it was not great. 
And so I was sure because of that, because of all those things wrapped together, that this year Bears are going to pick a center. There were like good centers up high. There were good centers in the middle of the draft. There were even good centers down low in the fifth and sixth. Like, you know, maybe not guys that were going to start right away, but guys that have potential to start at the end of this season or, or early next season. And I really didn't think based on what we saw out of Lucas Patrick last year that they would just lean on him and say, oh, well, when he's healthy, he'll be fine. He was healthy for some of last year and he looked anything but fine. Cody Whitehair has had a very rough, like, I'll just call it second half of his career. He's clearly declining. He's doing what he can. He's good sometimes. He's not great. Lucas Patrick's snaps were all over the place on Sunday. Like, I really expected them, even with Nate Davis and Tevin Jenkins, which is what they thought they had at interior offensive line, to secure that center spot and say, we're going to put a good young stud here. We're going to get a tackle. And again, you can get the tackle first. You can get Darnell right. And then third, fourth, there's still centers there. And they just didn't take him, didn't take him. And I, but I got to the end of the draft. I was really surprised. And I was like, oh, they think they've got it. Like they think they've what they've got in the barn is good enough. Right. That's why they didn't do it. And I, at that point, I really, I that was a sort of gobsmack. Like I remember sitting in the house I was in in Kansas City, like sitting back and going, oh, whoa. Like I really miscalled that. I thought for sure they saw it the way I saw it. And they clearly do not see it the way I see it. And then, you know, I'll say somewhat predictably, like it just seems to happen. The Bears never go into the year with a healthy offensive line. Somebody or somebodies are always dinged up and you're you're patching it together from week one and then saying, we hope we get healthy down the line. I really expected polls after last season's complete debacle that he, he would load up and say, that's not happening again. We are not going to get, you know, cut down by offensive line issues. And they didn't. And here we are again. And I'm like, again, if you look at the protection against a very good defensive line, uh, the Packers, it wasn't good enough. Like Justin clearly has issues with letting the ball go. And it's even worse when people are in his face and people were in his face all the time. And so you're kind of right back to square one where you were last year, even though you've invested in Nate Davis, even though you, you got a first round right tackle, like you're back playing backups in where the pressure comes from the quickest on the interior offensive line. And I just, I'm like, really? You couldn't, you didn't see this one cut? Like you really thought you had it there and you clearly don't. Yep. Uh, we have <laughs> yep. talked about centers so much on this and other shows. And it's, it's very frustrating for me because I keep getting my hopes up that they're going to get the pivot. Speaking of pivots, that's what we did here today. We talked about the Packers. We pivoted over to the Buccaneers. That's what this show is going to be. We really appreciate you joining us. I uh, appreciate all the pe people coming in, hanging out in the comments section. If you're listening to this and you want to kind of get involved and throw us something to talk about, make sure you do that. You can, uh, you know, again, find us on Twitter. You can send us an email if you would like uh, at 2ndcitygridiron at gmail.com is where you can do that. We'll make Lester forward that on to us. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, good to be back. Good for a show back. And uh, we will be here almost every Wednesday. I'm sure we'll take a, uh, you know, a bye week and, and we might a take a mental health day. If this yeah, depending up. on how this, this year goes, you know, we may need a personal bye week, right. At some point too, but uh, you know, count on us to be in this time slot and looking forward to hanging out with you. So good to be back partner. And uh, until next time, everybody bear down. <laughs>